Hello everyone, welcome back to DF Direct Weekly. This is actually our 45th episode if you go by episode count. It is week 3 of 2022. And it is season 1 if you go by our podcast. I guess I just made a time paradox. <laughs> but to keep uh, track of time with me, I got the John Lemon. Yeah, we kind of broke it by laughing there. But yes, it's good to be here again after uh, our Activision discussion. Uh, but there's a lot more to talk about this week, so... It's good to have you here, as always. But of course, we're joined by Alex Battaglia. Hey there, everyone. Let's try and speed run this video if we can. I've got to work. Hey, hey, hey. Low energy is my gimmick, so don't just steal it from me, Alex. Do that again, but do it in your usual fashion. Nah, it's all good, guys. Uh, let's uh, just uh, jump into the news, because there's a lot of it this week. To continue a little bit on our thoughts on Microsoft Activision, we should talk a little bit about just where we sit now. Because when we recorded our impromptu direct this yeah. week, uh, it was like 15 minutes after the news actually broke on Slack. So we were very taken by the bed, so to speak. I don't know, that's maybe like a hand talk to the foot moment there. I'm not sure if that's a saying. But uh, we were quite taken aback by it. And uh, now it's been a couple of days, we've seen some more details. We've also kind of reflected a bit more on it. So, uh, John, where's the, kind of uh, your thoughts now, a couple of days later? Yeah, thinking about it more, I mean, you know, I feel like my thoughts the other day were pretty spot on in terms of thoughts. Uh, but um, I guess this is definitely a case where I feel like it did make sense, right? The more I think about it, the more I realize that this was the best option for Activision because they were looking to sell uh they were with they were looking to make changes we've since learned that there was a potential for them to uh sell themselves out to facebook which would have been a disaster um and you know so like clearly of all the potential buyers of a company this large i think microsoft has the best chance of actually doing something with them potentially turning around some of the situations within the company itself, though that's still, of course, very challenging, uh, replacing some of the leadership, and the board with hopefully less uh, bad people, <laughs> you know, but then also Just less potentially bad giving... It's fine uh, if they're bad still. Yes, yeah, less uh, bad. They're still going to, you know, it's a mega corporation. Yeah. They're still going to be, yeah, that you, kind know, of you know how person. it is. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But, um you know, as far as the games are concerned, you know, I'm still hopeful that this gives some of these studios that were owned by Activision a chance to do something else. Like, this is by no means a guarantee, right? Like, they may just want to continue doing what they've been doing. But it's clear that Activision has been slowly, like, just focusing on very specific games, and all these studios have been folding up into it. And now there is at least the chance that they will be able to do something else. So... Activision, as it was, was in a bad place. It was heading in the wrong direction. Uh, it was not a good thing. And this is probably the best chance it has for actually turning things around. So I'm I'm kind of hopeful at the moment. But at the same time, I've seen a lot of these responses like, oh, well, no, Sony needs to do something. Who are they going to buy? And that needs to stop. Like, this is fine, but like, only because it's specifically Activision, but like I don't want this to turn into this arms race of acquisitions. Uh, we don't need that, like right? Like it's, it's, we don't want Sony to suddenly buy up all these companies. We don't want Microsoft doing it more at this level. Like this is ridiculous at this point. Um, so that's kind of my thought. Like Activision, this makes sense, but 
I don't want to see these two companies go to war and start acquiring all the rest of the publishers out there. That is not good for the industry. Yeah, I think I was, uh, I thought my thoughts the other day, even though they were so immediate, uh, actually did express a lot of what I wanted to say. But I've been thinking about it since then as well, too. And uh, I actually do think there's a high chance that we're going to see a variety of the studios there doing different things and Call of Duty being put on a different schedule. Uh, not yearly releases. And the reason why I say that is because um, Activision's Blizzard's financial turnover in a year for year was very much so based around the we bring out Call of Duty each year um, model. And it had uh, problems and it, re it basically relied on the fact that the game would come out perfectly well on time and would also be received well. Uh, when that was doing that. Vanguard uh, did not light up uh, the fires as much as previous entries. And also, over the years, there's been a number of challenging moments. Uh, for example, when the uh, previous Black Ops game came out from Treyarch, the one that essentially, I mean, it came out as a uh, multiplayer Warzone-style... Uh, uh, Black, yeah, Black, Black Ops 4. Black Ops 4, uh, but it originally did have a campaign. Uh, that all kind of got canceled uh, uh, pretty far into development as they realized they wouldn't make the milestone. Instead of uh, waiting to push the campaign out and giving it extra time, they just said, no, we rebrand, we redo everything. This is a multiplayer-only title. And that was definitely not for the benefit of the fans. I don't even know if that game gets support anymore. Definitely doesn't, probably. Um, and, you know, like, there's moments like that where they just, to make the bottom line run, they would uh, push things out. And now that the bottom line is going to be very different because they have the coffers there of uh, Microsoft behind them and the Game Pass model, I actually do think it's going to lead to a change. Real quick, that I think... What really supports this as well is just the existence and popularity of Warzone because they can have Warzone persist for years and that, that's its own thing separate from Call of Duty, right? Which then hopefully allows them more time to focus on making something more special with the actual mainline entries. Exactly. Um, so that's one, that's one thing I've been thinking about. Uh, and I guess the other thing that I've been slightly thinking about is... Um, I know everyone wants to frame this as a Microsoft versus Sony thing, like John was talking about, and we don't really want to see it that way at all. But I think this push exactly shows the fact that Microsoft doesn't want to be this about only about the console war and only about internal, uh, like, us against them mentality. As weird as that sounds, because they're trying to compete on a completely different level here than just with their own, you know, with than just with their rival, their main rival. This is about building some massive service out uh, for people in terms of Game Pass, which is Game Pass. They, I think, they actually just wanted that idea that Phil Spencer said years ago about we just want Game Pass on everything. I think this is literally about it. Um, I thought about that a bit more. So it seems like they're they're trying to compete with other, you know, more intangible uh, uh, competitors at that in that way. That's kind of where I sit to, I think, most of my thoughts from, was it Tuesday this happened? Sorry, this oh week my God. just moved yeah. by so quickly. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, think I so. mean, uh, my thoughts are basically the same. Though I have, like you, Alex, I thought more about just kind of Microsoft's position in the video gaming space. And... Uh, it is very clear, and they've been doing this for a few years now, where they're creating like this system in the cloud sort of thing where pe people should be able to play Xbox anywhere on anything sort of thing. And Game Pass, I think, is so instrumental to this plan of theirs. 
and then with this activation uh, acquiring them we probably will see more of this coming into fruition uh, how and when I'm not sure but uh, it might not be as locked maybe as I initially thought though I do still think that the heavy hitters will uh, see some exclusivity to Microsoft hardware or OS's so to speak so yeah my thoughts are basically the same on the deal being made I don't want this to become I mean I, I don't think the official price tag has been put out yet, at least as of this recording. But uh, the numbers that have been thrown around are like pretty high up there in the billions. Uh, it's the largest deal ever made in video games for sure. So we can stop putting that Shenmue number out now. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just kind of like... It, it's a once-in-a-lifetime news item, right? Like, this isn't going to happen again and again. And people have been talking about, like, Sony needs to do EA. They need to buy Square Enix. You say that, dude, but, like, Bethesda felt like this. And this was just, like, one-upping it. I mean, I guess there's technically nowhere else to go in terms <laughs> yeah. of going upwards. How many more? I, EA value, is the last one, right? But uh -huh. EA's big, Ubisoft, I mean... Yeah, I guess Ubisoft would be another, but EA at least has all the licenses and such. But yeah, Ubisoft. Um, I mean, the, the thing that hasn't been talked much about because uh, language barrier and such, but in Japan and in Asia in general, there's also been a bit of this kind of like consolidation going on uh, from Chinese uh, backers. So the industry is getting frighten frighteningly smaller. Um, without people being fully aware. I think this is what kind of painted a little bit of at least you and I's opinion, John, where it's just kind of, when you look at the global scale, this is happening a lot more than people I think are aware of. Uh, and it generally doesn't end up with consumers getting as much choice as they used to. Uh, world is different now with all these subscription models though, but I'm not really part of these subscription model so much it's not where i, I don't lie. like our subscription future it's it's an absolute mess in the in the tv show space there's so many subscriptions now uh it's it's awful right now and i don't want that to happen to games especially uh, you know at least in in mostly you can still kind of own movies and such on disc but which is cool but uh I don't know. I, I am a little bit worried about the direction the games industry is heading in this regard. Movies is a whole different business, but uh, yeah, as a collector of film on actual physical media, it gets very frustrating sometimes with these streaming services. And I certainly don't want games to head into that direction. And with Xbox, it kind of sometimes goes into there. Uh, it's harder to get Xbox games physical, I feel, than the other consoles. Yeah, and that's not good. I hope this, uh, you know, I mean, we've talked about this before, but it is concerning. And I really wish they would support, fully support both audiences, right? Like, of course, Game Pass is huge for them, but that's not what everybody wants. So, and it feels like they're not doing the physical media the way that they should be. Uh, and I know, uh, I, I don't want to get into it anymore, because I, I know that, the people that love Game Pass, they don't understand it. They don't want to understand it. And they think we're idiots for even talking about it. Because they don't care. They do not care. They don't They don't care at all. They just want to play their games and they want to cheer for their favorite team. And that's it. Before we move on from this, let's just talk about a few 
like these small details that trickled out. Allegedly, uh, one of the plans that Bobby Kotick had during all this that's going to come out now is that he actually wanted to buy up a publication uh, that would not be Digital Foundry, just to clarify. Uh, but he did ha have his eyes on something like Kotaku to change some of the... Uh, and PC Gamer. Yeah, and PC, PC Gamer, Gamer the other one. Uh, to change the discourse that was going around about the company uh, prior to the sale. And as John mentioned earlier, there was apparently um, some discussion about selling to Facebook into the meta universe, I suppose. Uh, so there was that. I don't think that would have ever gone, even if they did it, I don't. I think it would be so transparent that no one would buy it. It, it would just be for the purpose of having competing Google search results, I, I almost feel. Um, but actually informed readers and users would see through the veil. So that was dumb. And it's also just really points out how kind of grody uh, Bobby Kotick is, um, in my humble opinion. Uh, and the other thing, uh, we dodged a bullet uh, because I think Facebook, uh, Microsoft, I think you said it uh, in our Tuesday video, like. Uh, in spite of us having uh, pretty big reservations about digital futures and, um, you know, not, I don't like the consolidation of the industry at all. Um, it's a lot better to have Microsoft be the steward of Activision IPs than uh, Meta or Facebook because they have completely different outlooks about gaming that we talked about last time. So we dodged a bullet there. Even though this is not the this is not the the wholly best situation the world could have ever had, also. So no, I guess that's a good point, Alex, because I feel like the the issue really is that I, you know we've expressed our concerns with digital future and everything, but Microsoft's is actually kind of the least bad in terms of these services like Facebook, Amazon, Google. Oh, Stadia! Jesus Christ! Terrible yeah. With this, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I I can Game Pass is actually. It's a good service, um, you know, and it's the best of what is out there, I would say. Uh, so in that sense, uh, I, I do think there is a positive sort of a silver lining to this because, yeah, if they had been bought up by one of those other companies, that is bad. And that's what I really don't want to see is I don't want companies like Facebook and the like to really find their footing in this sort of industry. So last point on this is that uh, we talked a little bit on Tuesday about this as well, about kind of reviving some of these studios to do individual titles. Uh, there's been some hints here and there that that could be the case. So nothing official yet. And a lot of the questions sent in for us this week was regarding like, do you think this, like will they revive Sierra? Uh, will Raven Software do other stuff? Like these kinds of things. Uh, now that Raven and Activision and id Software and all that are all under one roof. Like it's time for Hexen to come back. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like it's time. Id Tech Seven, I feel, yeah. Hexen, like it's all there. All the licenses are there. It's time. <laughs> Would that be a boomer shooter again, though? Like the the retro uh, wave of FPS we've seen, or do you want the brand new one? No, no, no. I want it to be like proper, like modern rendering, modern sort of. Uh, approach to it and you know hexen was always different anyway hexen and hexen 2 they weren't exactly like they didn't follow the model of other shooters of that era and i think it's it's this weird middle ground and i really like that sort of adventure shooter genre um and i really would love to see it so again it's 
it feels unlikely, but there is at least some potential now for them to be able to do that since that is, I think, an Activision IP anyway. Uh, so it would not have really been feasible for id Software or Raven or them to work together again, but maybe they could. Horizon Forbidden West is uh, coming out soon and they released a new story trailer. And I know, Alex, that you've been keeping your close eye on this game. Uh, did you notice anything different in this story trailer? Uh, no, I mean, they used some uh, shots that we've seen when they originally uh, initially showed off some things. It probably does enter spoiler territory because they already... Um, so if you do want to watch uh, and you're interested in the game, I, I would actually probably avoid watching this trailer because it seemed a bit spoilery. To I'll be me. very careful in editing this. Also, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Um, but but uh, yeah, I mean, rendering-wise, it looked a lot like we've seen in the past, and that's all really good things. Um, this is uh, the trailer was released in 4K 30, so not a 4K 60 container. Um, I do not know if they've announced there's a 60 FPS mode, but I'm pretty sure it's got to be there. They did, I think. Oh uh, yeah, then. I believe then it's got to be there. It'd be interesting to see what the rendering setup is there, whether they keep checkerboarding or whether they do something else entirely for the PS5. I'm still really interested in those things. Um, you know, John's going to be covering this game uh, at full on release uh, uh, soon enough. And I'm just curious what John has to say when the time comes. Well, the big thing that I notice more than the, the specific rendering is um, that the, the quality of the animation work and the cutscenes has improved dramatically. So as we know, the original Horizon, it was a little bit stiff and there was some awkwardness with a lot of the animation work and cutscenes. And there was still issues with transitioning between different camera cuts and sort of resetting the state of the physics, like on the hair and such. Um, but then Death Stranding came out and they did some amazing work on the cinematics there. And this kind of feels like, you know, they're taking advantage of the changes and improvements that have been possible in this latest version of Decima. So the cutscenes themselves seem far more ambitious than anything in the first game. You know, there's just larger, larger, like, actions, destruction, and just more complex uh, situations and finer granularity in all the movements that I think make it look a lot more, you know, high-end. So that is at least encouraging. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's it's shaping up to be a great-looking game, for sure, and I can't wait to check out the, the final. They're adding some name value to it. Carrie Ann Moss was announced to be in the game. Andrew yep, Bassett yep, yep. is in the game now. That's, that's funny. So it seems like the story <laughs> is going to be Whoa. pretty heavy in this game. That was a strong part of the original, I got to say. I mean, I, I enjoyed the original story. It goes to some interesting places uh, eventually. And now that, you know, the big reveals are, are out of the way from the original game, you know, I, they can kind of explore what that all meant, I guess. Generally, I'm just, uh, when they add these actors, like, re like mainstream movie actors into games, I'm not always a fan of it because voice acting is such a specific type of acting that requires very different sensibilities. So I'm always very, when they announce, like, these kinds of things so we'll see i mean we all remember Kiefer sutherland don't we but, uh, this will probably be better. yeah i mean kept you waiting huh i feel like they made amends yeah. for they made amends with the Kiefer situation with death stranding though where i thought that the talent they brought in there like it's pretty clear that norman reedus didn't just come into a booth for two hours and walk out right like like Kiefer. like there's a lot of dialogue from him in that game <laughs> 
Whereas Kiefer is just like, oh, to say a few things like, okay, Kiefer, can you say do it? Do it. You know, and that's, they just use that all over the place. So come over to my room later and I'll train you properly. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's like Solid Snake performed by me. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah. Uh, Horizon Forbidden West coming soon. John will take a huge deep dive into this. Uh, I suppose there's nothing else really to say about this uh, without uh, heavily spoiling people because it's a story trailer. So let's move on. Diablo 2, gentlemen. The game that never leaves us. It will continue to rise and make new news. And uh, this time, maybe not the best news. There is a DRM issue going on. John. Yeah, so this is something I highlighted this week, and I was encouraged by the response on social media, in fact, that a lot of people do seem to agree, at least. Effectively, what they've implemented here is sort of a uh, a timer where every 30 days you need to re-authenticate with their servers to play the game. Doesn't matter if you're single player, multiplayer, whatever. Uh, the game will not launch if you don't authenticate with the servers. Uh, I think this is one of the first times we've seen this on a console, outside of a situation you know there's been it's it's a tricky one because it does happen with multiplayer specific games and that does kind of make sense but for something like diablo this basically means that at some point in the future the game could be impossible to play unless you resort to piracy because the pirates have actually solved this authentication issue so thank you pirates you're <laughs> you've, done your, you've done your work <laughs> Uh, but so the thing is though, is, you know, some people say, well, it's not a big deal. Everybody has an internet connection, but we are actually talking about sort of a long-term vision here. Diablo two is obviously a good enough game that despite its age, like it came out in the nineties or early 2000s, like 2000 Diablo two around there. Thank. Yeah, I guess it was 2000. It was, so it's more than 20 years old. People still enjoy it. I still have a, a copy of, for the PC, um, People want to play it. I believe they will still want to play it years in the future. It would have been nice to be able to continue to do that with this version. But, I mean, so Activision has a pretty lousy track record about supporting certain things long term. Microsoft is maybe do a little better there. So this actually might change now with the acquisition. Because this was first something we discussed before the acquisition news. But essentially what we want to avoid is a situation like Battleborn, right? you don't have to love Battleborn, right? I know a friend of mine actually really did love it, but that's an example of what happens when this sort of mentality takes hold. Battleborn is a game you can't play anymore. If you own a console version on a disc even, the game is no longer available to play. It requires a server connection, so you can't do single player, you can't do anything. It just doesn't work. Um, and that's bad. That game is now basically like lost to time, like so many other mobile games and other, other things. And that's the kind of thing that we would worry about here. Now, Diablo is big enough that maybe, maybe not, that could happen here. But essentially, our reaction is to swat this down. We want this behavior to not become the norm. Because I, I, I don't see how anybody could actually want DRM like this to be a, a normal thing, right? Agreed. There's no benefit for the user, especially if you're playing offline. I have nothing to add to that. I mean, what do you guys think? Any, any, <laughs> nothing to add to that? <laughs> like, you completely covered that. But Alex, do you have any thoughts? 
Um, well, I just always think any of these systems are really dumb. Uh, I think when Doom 64 came out, it required Bethesda login or something like that, too, where I was just, like, livid uh, <laughs> at the idea of that. Uh, I don't like any of that crap. Uh, that's why I do prefer GOG uh, if it does happen. And um, so I hope this goes away. And I hope over time there is a no DRM infused version of any game. This is a really crazy situation with Doom because uh, Limited Run put out a physical copy of the Doom 1 and 2 collection, I think. Which, you know, it's nice to have a console version of that. And usually their games are fine from, from disc or cart or whatever. But in this case, I guess Bethesda insisted that they keep the login system or whatever in there. So in that specific example, you actually do need to log into Bethesda to be able to play the game. So even if you own the cart, if their authentication server is not there, the game will not allow you to play it. I, I just, I find that so gross. Uh, I don't think that's acceptable. Yeah. And that that's more, uh, that's unfortunately, that's a Bethesda thing. Um, and I, I don't know where that falls, like who, who's, who's responsible within Bethesda, but that's the kind of situation we want to avoid. I'm not a fan of these types of logins with Bethesda or Rockstar Club or any of these things. I just Rockstar like Club to is hilarious. Press the power button and be in the Rockst game. <laughs> Rockstar's the worst. Yeah. It feels like I've, oh. I've never played Max Payne 3 again for so many reasons, but that's one of them for sure. I don't even remember what my Rockstar Club login email is, let alone the password. That's the main like, thing. What is it's, this? A joke? I hate that stuff. Yeah. It's awful. The only thing I have to add, really, is it, I find it so weird that we still have this um, mandate, I suppose, from these larger publishers and developers to do this because, as John just mentioned, there's fairly recent history of this like making games unplayable and i just don't understand why you would want that to happen to your game i mean you're building audiences you're building consumers and then you're putting a lock on your game that eventually will cause it not to be playable and especially in the limited run situation which was not on them it's very important for us to note as john did i guess it is to collect data it's always about collecting data i suppose <sighs> keeping people within a certain infrastructure but um yeah i'm sure we'll rant about drm in the future as well so look forward to that but uh on to the next so next on the docket something i can't say but i can say that the <laughs> amd rx 6500 is out uh it has uh, gotten uh, even i have noticed a little bit of a rocky launch so to speak alex take us up speed there's a lot of things to talk about here but um uh, we are working on a review currently. Um, Will is working on that. We got the review sample rather late, um, so we could not put out a review like Hub and Tech Power Up did. Uh, both reviews are great. I recommend you look at the Hub and the Tech Power Up ones. They all focus on different games, different titles, uh, but they do focus on some of the, uh, there's some cross review stuff that uh, shows up there. And the thing is, this is not a good GPU by any sense of the word, uh, objectively, Within its category, building on the, the older GPUs, uh, uh, there's so many problems. Uh, I think some of the, the, some of the really big problem uh, is just availability and price you're going to get this for anyway. Uh, the, you know, the MSRP for this GPU is $199, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it is not selling for that. 
it is not going to be available for that price. So then you have to look essentially at what it's trying to do, uh, what you're getting for that above MSRP value there. And it's really, really bad. It is scarcely better than GPUs that are five years old uh, that had similar price categories when they came out. You look at the RX 57, uh, RX 570 or the RX 580. Um, so you'd be thinking, well, or the 480, uh, then you then you look, well, meh, it's already an A2. That's pretty great, right? Well, not really. It, it doesn't have like a decode encode engine for H.264 and things like that. So you're you're basically losing out on features that prior GPUs can have uh, at all. And you know, when you're a low-end gamer, you're not using this thing for, I don't know, like hardcore gaming or anything like that. But still, if you're going to be buying a new GPU, you want it to at least have features that the new GPUs have. The lack of encode decode and all that, it basically also means that this is not a workstation card. Like you can't really use this for much. Like it's not just about games. It's about everything. There's, there's, it's not really good at any of it. If you want to use any of those other RDNA 2 features like ray tracing, well, good luck, have fun. I recommend the <laughs> uh, uh, tech power-up review where they look at ray tracing in a variety of titles and in control you see the amazing failed. It cannot even run control with ray tracing on enabled at 1080p. It just doesn't work at all. The Resident Evil one, I, I almost spit out my coffee when you sent it over. Because, you know, it's like the RX 6600 is still in the around 50 FPS, right? And then the 6500 is like, oh, it's under 10 FPS. And in fact, with uh, the lower PCIe 2.0 setting that they tried, it was 2.4 frames per second, which is like Quake on a 486 territory. That is another aspect of this card. So it has a very small uh, four gigabyte, there's so many things to talk about here. It's a four gigabyte uh, uh, frame buffer here. Uh, I've said, I've laughed in the past at the idea that Nvidia would try and put out a 30, uh, what is it, a 3050 with four gigs. I was like, if they do that, I'm gonna tear them apart. This is that. Um, the thing is, that's completely useless for modern gaming. Four gigabytes is not enough. Uh, there's no staying power in there. The older cards in a similar price category had eight, usually, and a similar power performance category had eight. And uh, AMD uh, very surreptitiously deleted an old blog post of theirs about four gigabytes of VRAM not being enough for gaming before this GPU came out. You can find it on the Wayback Machine. People have talked about this on Twitter. But another aspect that John just pointed out right now that's really bad about this GPU is the PCIe situation. It is limited to 4x lanes. Uh, so if you have a modern uh, PCIe 4.0, or I guess 5.0, my goodness, um, you're probably not buying this GPU anyways. This kind of GPU with its price, performance category, is actually like one that you wouldn't put into a new machine necessarily, but one that you would upgrade an older machine with. So you're coming in there probably with something like PCI 3.0. Uh, very honestly, you probably would be. Uh, in which case you are, in some games, halving your performance almost by using PCI 3.0 with this GPU. It, it, it serves no, this GPU serves almost no purpose. And I had to dig this out because it reminds me of this. But does anyone recognize this, what this could possibly be? I don't know. Uh, I can't from the small little window. Okay, well, this is a GeForce 4 MX. Um, the, 
<laughs> that is a GPU that came out that served the purpose of filling uh, the line of the pockets of a company at a time uh, where it was feature. It was missing so many features and was not dramatically powerful than its predecessors in a variety of ways. And if you bought it, you thought like, wow, this is GeForce 4. This is new. I got all this new support in games. Well, you don't. You can't play that stuff. So. Uh, I can't wait to see what Will produces uh, about regarding this. I imagine it'll echo what we see from Hardware Unbox and Tech Power Up, but my goodness, this is not a good way to respond to the current market conditions. I don't know what AMD's plan was, and I hope uh, it is not a signal for the future of what is acceptable to be released at all. That's all from, from anyone. Honestly, feels it feels almost sleazy in a way in that you already look at the market situation with this and it's selling out and it's being sold for a significant markup as well. Uh, they knew this would happen and it just feels like they've sort of put out a subpar product. It's very obviously a subpar product, but it's going to sell anyway. And it just, it's unfortunate to see people being saddled with something like this. And it's just, you know, this is all born from the very difficult situation right now with GPUs and the part shortages and the rise of mining, crypto mining, all this kind of stuff is coming together to make it very difficult to get your hands on anything these days, unfortunately, but you don't want to get your hands on this. <laughs> from what I can tell, uh, I haven't actually used it myself and I will not be using it. Although I do have to laugh at some of the, there's like a gigabyte version that's been floating around I've seen that has like the similar shroud to some of the higher end products with like the three fans and such on it. And I'm just like, like really? <laughs> Uh, the, the PCB, I think the only thing that I like about this GPU is the PCB size. It's like very small. And I kind of like cute little GPUs like that. Like the RTX 2060 I have is also the like KFO edition from EVGA, which is also small so i do like that but everything about this is terrible so that's all i have to say about the rx uh 6500 xt like john was touching on it but like just to kind of clarify here because i'm not much into the gpu stuff i just asked john is this a good one and then i buy it <laughs> uh, but do you really is it such that amd put this out because there is such a demand for gpus right now they knew it was a bad product oh I, I can only guess, but I, I think just rationally, objectively, if you look at the metrics, uh, it's hard to imagine any other situation why they would put this out there. It's pretty weirdly blatant. I don't understand the purpose of this in the sense that AMD has been, um, they they've really have done a lot of good things over the past years. I mean, obviously the CPU stuff, especially uh, Ryzen is awesome. Um, but in, even in the GPU space, they've been getting a lot of, you know, positive press and people are enjoying their products. And it just doesn't feel like this is a smart move from that perspective either, because this is the type of product that can totally burn the customer, uh, especially if you're not paying as close attention to it, you know? And so I don't know, it's just a weird product that lowers like the entry point for PC gaming and PC usage in general, I think. And it's just, I mean, for for a dedicated car like this is like like a lousy integrated gpu kind of tech here it is like very much so competing with apus uh in a way that is not comfortable can it run crisis 
Yes, uh, that's a bad one, though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yes, a lot of GPUs can run Crisis. My, my, my CPU can run Crisis with Warp on. Um, so, but it can barely run the new Crisis stuff. Let's just say that. If that's not an endorsement, I don't know. <laughs> but I don't think there's much else. I think that's it. So let's move on. A little bit of a short tidbit here, but I've seen some questions come in regarding Square Enix and their situation currently uh, on many facets. And I just wanted to kind of quickly touch on this because the news was coming out uh, shortly before the Activision stuff that Kingdom Hearts on Switch is coming in February. And it is cloud only, which uh, we can touch on. But also, if you want the whole trilogy in a package, it is $90 for all these games running on cloud uh john yeah so the thing about square enix these days is they do re-release many of their products right sometimes it's remakes sometimes it's just a straight-up conversion but it, it always feels like this jekyll and hyde situation you never really know like is this going to be a good one or is this going to be absolutely awful and i think this falls into the the latter bucket there so um, first of all, the price for a cloud streaming game experience specific, like this is, this is not accessing a service per se. This is literally just accessing these games via cloud, which, you know, the experience I'd imagine, I, I can't imagine it being great, especially given the, the poor nature of Switch's Wi-Fi chip. So there is that, but also this means that you basically can't use these games, uh, in the way that many people use the Switch, which is in portable mode, right? My guess is that they simply looked at what it would take to convert all of these games to Switch and just decided there's no way we want to spend the, the money on engineering uh, these games to work on Switch. Like, I'd imagine especially Kingdom Hearts 3 would have been pretty difficult given its uh, visual target and being Unreal Engine 4. I mean, we've seen some pretty lousy results with Unreal Engine 4 on Switch, but also some decent stuff. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like this is, this feels like a product that should have been part of a service uh, rather than like being sold standalone like this, because you're still not actually getting anything. It's just access to their servers. Do you think there is like a hilarious uh, package out there and like your media marks like where you go and you pick up a package and you like open it up and has a code <laughs> do you think that is what they're do you think that's what they're gonna do i don't think they do that that would that would be way too far but the so this kind of set this is this is actually like sort of a symptom of a bigger problem where the switch being a portable device from 2017 obviously it's not going to compete with high-end uh consoles these days it's just not going to happen right um but it seems like publishers have sort of decided that well we can't port our games any longer let's just cloud stream and that's not a good future for the switch uh, i would rather these games not come to the system at all <laughs> than to go down this route because this kind of sets a pretty negative precedent though i suspect based on the public reaction to this that other companies will also be looking at this and considering that, uh, you know, maybe this is not the the way forward. Um, but it is it is tricky because, you know, the Switch is what it is, and now developers are pushing more into the PlayStation 5 and Series X territory. 
Uh, games are becoming more complex. There is this point now where bringing these experiences to the Switch is no longer going to be viable. And I feel like at some point, the only reaction here is Nintendo's going to have to release a new machine uh, that's more powerful, like a next-generation version of the Switch. But I think... By and large, though, that's that's really tricky, though, because Nintendo has always had a very hard time making these transitions outside of Famicom to Super Famicom. Uh, every time they've had to shift generations, they usually fumble. Uh, they'll have one very successful run, and then the next one, it just falls down hard. And I'm I'm sure they're terrified of that happening with the Switch, because the Switch has been such a huge success. And, but I don't know what else you can do. Like cloud, cloud gaming like this is not the good, not a good solution for Switch, especially not at ninety bucks. No, yeah, ninety bucks. It's uh, insane. I would hope that this is a symptom of just yeah being a bit long in the tooth. And like you mentioned, John, I think this is a situation that came about because of the third game, and because I think one point five remix definitely could have been done on Switch with not too much so, issue. I think you're right, though. I think at this point. They they ported it to PlayStation 4 first, and that's the version they'd been working with, so it is still a little trickier. This isn't just running PS2 games on the Switch, uh, which could have been actually tricky as well. In its own but, way, right? Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. But I'm sure it was Kingdom Hearts 3 that gave them the most issues. The reason why we're also talking about this, so yeah, uh, John kind of covered the Kingdom Hearts situation, but I mean, Square Enix at the moment is definitely a toss-up what you're getting from these... Uh, uh, re-releases but also recently with the ff7 pc version that was priced out of its league as well on pc so i mean they're setting these prices pretty high for their products very premium priced and uh alex what's kind of your thoughts coming from a very pc perspective when you see those kind of prices on products like that i just don't think they'll sell honestly, in the numbers that they want, uh, because PC audiences are not used to paying uh, the, the, the amount of money that console players play, and there's a very different market there. And I know another issue with this was regional pricing being very poor as well, uh, because, you know, games don't cost and shouldn't cost the same, depending upon the market you're in. I'm of that very humble opinion. People have very different monthly wages, depending upon your country of origin and place. Uh, so that was another problem there, and I'd imagine this is probably the same with the Kingdom Hearts uh, collection here. So Last thing to touch on here, I think it was, uh, I forget who pitched it internally, but I think someone on the team wanted to look at cloud versions on Switch and just kind of see how it runs in general. So I guess the fans could let us know if they want to see a video like that, because I think there was some questions whether or not is an interesting topic. I think it would be interesting to just kind of take a look at these cloud versions. I agree. Yeah. I would like to see what they're doing there. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be doing that video because you know my stance <laughs> on cloud is pretty it, we'll negative. It. So it, <laughs> exactly. So th this this seems more like Tom is quickly becoming our cloud man. Oh so, yeah, that's right. Tom, Tom, Tom's in the clouds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I would definitely like to see that video because uh, I know like Hitman is cloud, Resident Evil. This, Troll is, I uh, think, too. Yeah, yeah. So there are a lot of cloud versions, but I just I never dive into it because I don't like owning my games. I don't like having a glorified rental. What was it? Resident Evil Seven, the cloud version on Switch. I was, you know, a friend of the show, Alex and Neil, was talking about that. Uh, he actually did give it a shot, but apparently it's like twenty bucks for six months of access, which. Is even, somehow that's even wilder to me. You're essentially paying like a fee to access an old game for 
six months, just that game, and it's a cloud version. I, I don't know. That's that's it's pretty wild. You're getting old. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway. Oh yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, let's move on to the next. Another short one here. We just kind of wanted to touch on a upcoming uh, release on Netflix. Yes, it is still gaming related though. Cuphead is getting its own animation show. And John, I know you're a huge fan of Cuphead the game, but how do you feel when you see her the Cuphead animation? Oh, I, I was really happy to see this actually because you know it seems like they're doing proper animation here, not motion tween stuff that Alex was worried about. Uh, it's genuinely high quality animation that really feels true to the game and. I'm kind of encouraged by the rise and success of these sort of game-related animated shows where um, I think for a while we've kind of seen that Hollywood trying to tackle game-related topics doesn't usually work. Uh, but this stuff is working. Castlevania was a big hit on Netflix. Cuphead looks great. We've got the Shenmue anime coming out very soon that also looks great. Uh, this, So I'm kind of encouraged by this. I, I'm happy to see it. It's a fun way to sort of bring these games into a different medium and, you know, allow maybe, you know, both fans and a new audience alike to become familiar with them. So, yeah, exciting. Cuphead is a perfect fit for this, right? Because it's already based on these old-timey Steamboat Willie uh, era cartoons. A bit later than that, maybe, but, like, uh, and that's kind of my only gripe with this was it looks so clean. Man, they should put some uh, nice, like, uh, noise and stuff on that uh, <laughs> animation because it looks so clean, but uh, it looks to fit perfectly with the games. Well, it is a Netflix show, Audi, and you got to remember that putting uh, noise and oh, such yeah, patterns yeah. into something that's like, designed to be streamed, yeah. <laughs> it raises the bandwidth costs significantly. Yeah, the compression on Netflix is hilarious. Uh, just a small little Netflix aside, but if you ever watch, you know, anything like DS9 or Voyager uh, on Netflix, you know, those are still like, I guess, 480i, uh, uh, you know, uh, but they don't actually broadcast them in a higher resolution for the stream so if you go into any of the scenes in those like 480i presentations where there's like fog or something like that the amount of macro blocking is hilarious i just recommend i wish i could take a screenshot of a netflix show and show it to you on the audience but netflix has to get better with some of that older content my goodness it's the streams are really poor quality well, speaking of like Star Trek on Netflix stuff, remember when they did the Blu-rays for Next Generation? They actually went back to the master tapes and redid the uh, special effects uh, with the, the original style, so overlaid and high resolution on the master tapes. So, I mean, that's the only way to do it. But I've been thinking, like, when I look at stuff like uh, the shaders and RetroArch and stuff, it'd be great if we got like a proper CRT shader for some of these older movies on Amazon <laughs> and Netflix, right? <laughs> Because I love B movies on VHS and whatnot, and sometimes that's how it's supposed to be seen. You can't you can't watch a Lauren Avedon movie in HD. I kind of wish we could get something like this. I, I, we would be the only ones who are using it, but imagine like that, uh, that's like the proper like, uh, grime for the B movies should come back, <laughs> but that uh, will never happen. But yeah, as John mentioned, there's also the Shenmue anime coming out on Crunchyroll. I think it's uh, Adult Swim and Crunchyroll teaming up to create the Shenmue animation. And that trailer released as well. Uh, and it looks really good. I can't wait. It's kind of weird that Corey Marshall is not doing the voice in English. That froze me off, though. That's Ryo Hazuki for me in English. But I don't know if I will be watching it in English anyway. Though the voice cast is very good for the English version. Don't get me wrong. 
And uh, yeah, these Netflix shows, especially Castlevania, I've been loving that one. I watched the whole thing. I haven't watched Witcher yet. Um, so oh, that's right, Witcher. Witcher. But I know that's pretty good as well. Yeah, it's pretty good. Question, what, what languages are they going to offer Shenmue in? Are they going to do English, uh, but others? I mean, it's uh, English and Japanese. It's an anime, so... Uh, I'm, I'm sure it is like the German dub as well for you. Um, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, just, I, I wish Audi could give like a sample of like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, German uh, dub theme song here, just like really briefly, just so people oh, can get just, <laughs> just give a little sample of that for the audience. Um, yes, no, I was wondering because right like... But anyways, that's all we have to say. Go check out these Netflix shows, though. If you're into video game adaptations, uh, these are very good. Castlevania is my favorite so far. And the last news item for this week is one that I've been keeping a little bit of an eye on for a while. I didn't know it was going to come out now, but uh, we'll definitely talk a little bit about this. Uh, Zunamods has put out a 60 frames per second Final Fantasy VII patch. Now, when I say Final Fantasy VII, I don't mean the remake. Because that one struggles to keep 60, I guess. <laughs> but uh, it is the old one. And it doesn't matter which version, Steam, your original version, whatever. This mod is going to put native 60 frames per second on the world map, menus, and battle. Now, John, I know uh, you kind of looked at this this morning with me. Uh, I saw it yesterday. But uh, what's your thoughts when you see this 60 frames per second nonsense running on the old Final Fantasy VII? <laughs> it's It's... It's very strange because I'm so used to the way Final Fantasy VII looks and to suddenly see this change, um, it's cool. It's really neat to see. I, I wasn't sure that this would ever happen, to be honest. Uh, and I, you know, I still have my original Trapezoid box from the 90s because I, I had to play this on PC as well. IDOS, right? Yeah, yeah, IDOS published yeah. it. Yep, That's yep, funny. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I did a DF Retro on FF7 where I really looked in depth at that PC version in its original form, but the community has kept it alive. And this is probably one of the most interesting mods yet because it completely changes the fluidity because in its original form, it was like capped at like 15 frames per second for battles, something like that. And the world map could be 30, I think. Um... Weird, although what's interesting is on PlayStation, at least, even though the battles were a low frame rate, all the menus updated at 60 FPS. So, so you got smooth menus, but with low frame rate 3D. The PC version did not have that because I guess just the nature of rendering was different on the PC versus the console back then. Uh, so, yeah, this kind of fixes it all. I will say it looks a little bit strange and some of the animations seem to play at a slightly incorrect rate. But by and large, it's pretty good, and it's encouraging to see them get there. Um, but I don't, you know, the the modding scene is very weird for this game because some of the mods are awesome, and some of the mods are questionable. Yeah. Inconsistent? Uh, I think inconsistent is maybe, that's a good way to describe it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, so the Final Fantasy VII modding has been going on since I think basically the 90s at this point uh, and it's crazy it's still going on same same name still I see in the community as well but yeah so the original PC version I think had a frame limiter uh, at 
teen across the whole board, as you mentioned. The Mm-mm-mm. it wasn't across the whole no, board. No, 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 just for, just for battles on PC. Uh, all the overworlds. Yeah, hmm. the two the the backgrounds and the overworld were both thirty. It was just the battles that were like capped at super low rates. The menus as well so. was lower frame rate. On the menu was PC. the menu speed was designed was tied to whatever scene you were in. Yeah. Right? Oh, so in the battles it was low frame yeah. rate. Uh, I think the actual menus, if you brought up just the standalone world map menu, you would actually get sixty there, if I recall. But just that full screen menu, any other menu tech stuff was tied to whatever the three D was running at. It's interesting to see here though, because I was reading a little bit of background on this, and apparently they've been working. The one thing that took. A lot of time was just kind of uh, reverse engineering of the animation system in the game, and then uh, they've interpolated all the frames, so that should have native support. Uh, there are a few elements that still, as John mentioned, seem to speed up rather than interpolate, so it kind of looks a little bit weird, but I'm sure that can be worked out. Uh, but it's really cool to see, and uh, sadly the only example we have here is with this kind of garish... Uh, <laughs> this uh, video footage here is kind of a garish uh, retexturizing of the game, and as John mentioned, uh, it can be very crazy if you just apply all the mods. You have all this different materials. You put like the battle models on the world map, as all these textures that mismatch. That's the kind of modding scene for ge- in general to me. His inconsistent art direction uh, can't really uh, be done with. But there are. To give credit to that modding community, though, there are other mods coming out with, like, the, I forget the name of them, but, like, uh, there's these new models that try to look more like the original concept art with the aesthetics of the original game. So they look very crazy looking, like Chibi, uh, which looks really good. They're redoing the uh, cutscenes to keep consistency with the in-game models and those. So, I mean, they're just, even uh, I saw this morning, someone's uh, doing a dub of the game that can be inserted with uh, kind of bulk splash style. That might be too ambitious. I'd be curious to see it, but I I, I don't know for about Fa- that. I would say yes, but for Final Fantasy VII, the fans are just so, like... Ravenous. Yeah, they're into yeah, it. Yeah, they're so loyal and uh, passionate about that game that I could definitely see someone doing a fairly high-level dub of that. Not sure how it's going to play out, though. I want to see how they handle... Like, there's a lot of scenes in that that are trying to convey, like, uh, loss of memory and, like, difficulty, like, getting the words out and just like, kind of a mystery. Lots of dots, periods used, ellipses. Uh, I want to see how this is translated to voice acting. Anime style, it's like, huh! You know, like, just like, huh! Oh. Mm. You know, you, I can imagine I that. can't <laughs> yeah. do it. Have like that echoey like uh, reverb in the, uh, for every voice sample. You know how it sounds. Sephiroth. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's the news for the week, gentlemen. We got through it. Wow. So uh, let's. It was a lot. That was the longest news section we've ever done. Maybe, maybe. Though I'm sure we'll break that record soon enough. But let's move over to a shorter content discussion. So for the content discussion this week, we'll start with. John, you rebuilt your computer. It's been a roller coaster that people have been following on social media. But where are we now in this uh, road trip of yours to build your computer? I'm happy to confirm that it is now complete and stable. Uh, But the the path to reach this point ended up being a lot more difficult than I expected. 
uh, for some really dumb reasons. So let's talk about it then. So I've been using an old Skylake X build, so the i9-7960X. Um, and, you know, I've been having a lot of issues with blue screens, crashes, and just general instability that has made me want to upgrade. So we thought, okay, it's finally time. Uh, let's go Alder Lake. So get a 12900K in there, uh, and let's do it. So first of all, I had to go through the whole process of you know, as you do, when you build a new computer, it's like, all right, let's look at the motherboards. What are we going to get? So, uh, first of all, motherboard prices have really kind of exploded, I got to say. They're, they're, they're getting ridiculous at this point. Um, but I settled originally on an Asus ROG uh, Strix Gaming Wi-Fi. Wait, ROG Strix might be Dash A Gaming Wi-Fi. D4. It's a very complicated <laughs> name. So I got that. I got the i9. I also had to change the cooler. Um, due to the, my case limitations, I I couldn't go for a 360 millimeter all-in-one, and I don't have the room to do the full, like, uh, custom <laughs> loop thing. So, But I actually got a 280 millimeter um, Arctic Freezer 2 cooler which based on reviews suggests that it's an ugly looking thing, but man, does it do good work? And it does. It's a very powerful cooler uh, for, the, for the size, I'd say. So I'm very happy with that. But anyway, so and all the parts are here. It's Saturday morning. I sit down. It's time to, time to rebuild. Um, pull everything out. No problem. Start to put stuff in. First of all, Actually, getting the cooler ordered was tricky because LGA 1700 support is not very, like, well documented at this point. So you, it's really difficult to tell which coolers even support the new socket because they did actually slightly move the the pins on the board. Well, not pins, but the holes on the board for mounting the cooler and, like, the the height of the cooler is different. So there's a bunch of changes there. Uh, that's, that's why I went with the Arctic Freezer because it was pretty much confirmed that they do come with the 1700 bracket. So I go and I install that, and the first thing I notice is on this ROG board, uh, the position of the CPU socket is so far over, when looking head-on, it's so far over to the right that it didn't actually fit the motherboard tray in my case, which, by the way, is a Fractal Design Define 7 case, which I really love overall. But the bracket bumped up against the case tray. So the first thing I'm doing is I actually slightly modified the case by bending a bit of the metal back on the motherboard tray. Uh, I hate to have to do that, but I wanted to get this thing built. <laughs> so that, so, But that, that should have been the warning that things were maybe not going to go as smooth as I'd want. So I, I piece it all together, um, do an initial test power on, uh, and it does, it fires right up. You know, it, it looks good. Uh, but uh, what was it? It was... <sighs> this was, I, I always joked about people doing this, but I was so focused on, on getting everything to fit and it was so tight around the CPU slot. I did the thing that I always joked about. I forgot to peel the layer off on the CPU cooler. Oh you know, no. The, the, oh, remove no. this stupid plastic first. Oh. So like, uh, so you didn't, so you had like that plastic bit between the, the, oh my yes. God, no. Yes. I can't <laughs> believe I did that. So I, but Right away, I go into the BIOS, and the temperature at idle is 70C, and I'm like, uh, 
that's not good. And then it immediately clicked. I was like, oh no, I didn't take off that stupid plastic. <laughs> and sure enough, I pulled the cooler off and that was on there. So mistake, idiot mistake number one. So I take that off and I realize they didn't include enough thermal paste in the box for multiple applications. So I immediately jump in the car, run to the local shop, buy a, a new tube of thermal paste. So I get back, install it properly. It's idling at like 30C. Everything looks great. I'm happy. Uh, I install Windows 11. Um, and it goes through. I get into Windows. Everything's great. It's like, all right, let's install those motherboard drivers. Uh, right away, the board pops up like, hey, your board supports, uh, it has like the Asus uh, like loadout program or something that they have. Like, It's like... Armory, yeah, it's Armory. So it automatically pops up. I click install. It fails. Okay, great. So I just use the disk instead, whatever. Uh, or actually, I downloaded the Armory stuff eventually from their site and just got all the drivers that way. It takes about 20 minutes to install the drivers, which is weirdly longer than it took to actually install Windows 11, I might say. Uh, and then, you know, everything's looking good. I got my monitors in place. It's like, finally, I install the final drivers and reboot. It freezes. It's just the Windows boot up screen, the little circles spinning, the circles just stop. I don't know what's going on. I reboot, happens again. Reboot, goes to the repair your computer mode. Uh, doesn't work. All right, so let's go into safe mode. Um, not sure what's going on here. I end up rolling back, getting rid of some of the drivers I just installed. And guess what? It does boot this time. Okay. So I go through it again, install the motherboard drivers one by one, rebooting after every single install. It works perfectly until I installed the graphics card driver. And then I reboot it, crashed again. So at this point I'm thinking, okay, I was installing the game ready driver for God of War on the RTX card. Uh, but I remember you guys saying that the recent um, studio driver from NVIDIA was bad. It was, everybody was getting crashes and blue screen. So I thought maybe that extended to this as well. So I DDU the driver, go through, get an older one from December, install it. Um, <clears throat> same problem. At this point, I have no idea what's going on. So I end up reformatting the machine again and trying from scratch. This time it actually works for most of the day until the evening. And then it happens again. By this point though, I decided, screw this. I'm ordering a different board. So I got an MSI board instead. <laughs> that comes the next day. I install that. First of all, immediately the MSI board is, is faster for things like posts. And because when you have computer problems, you want a fast post, right? That's what I, that's what I like. The Asus board is so bad about this. It takes like 20 seconds before you actually see an image on screen. And then, you know, and sometimes it wouldn't, it wouldn't always boot when I, you know, if you're fiddling with like memory timings and stuff, because I was just testing configuration. Sometimes you get nothing. So it was, it was nerve wracking. The MSI board though, you hit power, you immediately see a cursor and then it shows the logo. There's no waiting. You just got instant picture. Uh, that right there is, is such a huge quality of life feature. Uh, I go through everything um, <clears throat> and install. I go ahead and install Windows again. 
actually, no, first it, first of all, the first thing it did was it booted my old install that I had on the Asus board and reinstalled its own drivers and everything seemed to work, but I wanted to do a fresh install. So I fresh installed again, go through all that, get all the drivers on there. It freezes again. I, I could not believe this. I was like, what is going on? And so I, I did all the RAM tests. I did a mem test 86. I did single stick tests. I don't think it's the RAM. The only thing that it could be at this point, I think, what if it's the GPU? So thankfully I was able to essentially get this thing swapped for a, another GPU, this, you know, same one, send the other one back kind of thing. Uh, get that one. Everything works. And here we are speaking right now where we've had horror stories in the past where we're talking with John and then all of a sudden his computer freezes, it blue screens, and we lose all of the DF Direct footage or something yep. like that. So we won't have that anymore. <laughs> yes. This is a massive <laughs> it seems that productivity way. boost. Uh, John was uh, doing an HEVC the other day as I was on a 5950X machine, and he was getting two times the frame rate. Uh, so that is, his Alder Lake is pretty beastly. Um, pretty uh, pretty awesome CPU there. Yeah, I, I'm really impressed with the performance of everything is so dramatically faster than my prior machine. Uh, Premiere actually behaves and feels fluid. I can actually use like more advanced graphics and transitions on a 4K video now and layer in like the frame rate graphs without basically almost crashing it. No blue screens yet. Uh, I don't actually know what was going on with the GPU because it would work great in games. Everything seemed fine. But then, you know, on the last build, and maybe this is tied to it, I was getting video TDR errors off and on and just general instability. And I, it makes me think that just something was, was going on with that GPU. Very minor, maybe a memory related thing like the VRAM, maybe something else, but something was off. And I think whatever it was about these new boards, uh, it was just, exposing something that it didn't like and it was just killing it and it, you couldn't boot into windows basically despite the fact that it would run perfectly otherwise so it was a very frustrating experience to say the least but i'm happy that it's finally built and everything's good uh because yeah it's it's less about games and more about we just need machines that can video edit and encode stuff quickly and i finally got there so yeah that was uh it was probably the most frustrating build I've ever done. And it was just because of that weird issue there. So I ended up sending the Asus board back though. And I'm sticking with the MSI board because quite frankly, it just its behavior is better. Like booting up windows is faster. Getting into the post is faster. Like everything about that is so much quicker and more reliable so far. Like none of the BIOS weirdness that my prior board, the A. AS rock board had a little bit of weirdness with the bias. The Asus board was doing it too. I was just like, is this just how it is these days? Are these things just kind of a little flaky, but the MSI board has been remarkably solid. I'm, I'm really impressed with it. So I've never actually used an MSI board in one of my own builds. So certainly glad that it uh, worked out for you in the end. Cause uh, yeah, you've been having a lot of crashes, stuff while editing. So it's good that we finally figured out of that. Cause, uh, yeah, it's been months now of this. And uh, as you mentioned, though, the, for people who have had blue screens lately, um, I've had blue screen issues as well throughout the last two weeks. 
Uh, and you fixed that for me by uh, having me properly roll back to the older uh, game-ready drivers. The newest studio drivers on NVIDIA do cause crashes, especially if you do video editing like us. So if uh, anyone out there has had those issues, uh, John, what was the steps that they should take? I mean, basic stuff. It's literally just use display driver uninstaller, the classic program. Uh, you want to go fully into safe mode, of course, run this bad boy, let it clean up the drivers. Because what you were doing was, I think when you tried to roll back, this is something the display drivers are bad about, uh, where if you just try to install via their installer on top of an already installed driver, it doesn't really seem to clear out all the crud. Uh, and in fact, you get a little bit of, like, there's always been this confusion where when you run, like, the NVIDIA installer, it says perform a clean install, right? But that's really only referring to, like, your preferences. It doesn't actually, like, completely cleanse your system of the driver. Uh, and that was your problem, was that you tried to roll back the driver, but some of that stuff from the bad studio driver was still there. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, it's a weird situation, but that's that's all it took. This happens on on both vendors as well. Like sometimes a driver just has an issue like this, and um, it seems like both. So you, Alex, and Tom all had instability issues with that latest driver, yeah. right? And Rich, so, and Rich too, I guess. So, yeah. And Rich, did he? I thought he was sticking with the older game ready drivers, but maybe not. Either way, it's all it's all good now. Everybody's happy. Our PCs are running stable again. Um, but if you have weirdness where something's just misbehaving, uh, sometimes you just have to, it's, it's not always in the place you'd expect, or at least the behavior isn't as clear as you might expect. So if you are a Patreon supporter of ours, thank you. Uh, but, uh, we have been getting out of our vacation blues and back into the swing of things, making videos and think here things. Uh, this activation stuff kind of threw us out this week, but the Patreon content will return to a regular schedule uh, in the uh, coming week, I'd say. So John and I will be back on the retro side doing Retro Corner, Retro Q&A, these kinds of things. Uh, that should be moving consistently forward. Uh, I know that uh, you, Alex, you have plans for the Patreon side doing different things. You started the vlogs. Yeah, I've been behind on those, though, too, because, well, I just got back. It's really hard to get into the swing of things sometimes after a holiday. Well, it seems to be universal because I keep seeing people just on social media and stuff just like, oh, I can't I can't get going. Like, it's so difficult. And yeah, so it's dire right now, dude. Yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's a dark time. It happens times. to everyone, though. You know, I do want to do some more of the vlog stuff as well. I did one of them, but uh, like, for instance, you know, the way... Like, what if we talked about, like, for instance, you, in, you know, introduced me to collectors and we look at the way we catalog our game collection and, and or the way that we have our setups, like I could show my retro setup and explain how all that comes together. I don't know. Stuff like that could be fun to add in there. Um, and I really just want to get back to a point where uh, I can have fun doing the videos instead of like being stressed out all the time, because I think the last half of. 2021 it was rough <laughs> it was yeah I mean, did me in it, it was fun and rough i mean we had the uh 12 days of phoenix we had the uh oh that was slaughterhouse and uh yeah it always gets slaughterhouse crazy great, towards yeah. christmas though because we have to get content ready for vacation and stuff and uh, that's kind of why you didn't see as much of the retro uh surrounding 
content like the q a's and whatnot but uh, we'll get back into that and uh speaking of which this is actually the last video i will do from this position i've rebuilt the studio so i will have a proper studio uh, with proper lighting and everything the next time you see and i wait i know right it's exciting <laughs> so i'll be as uh, beautiful as both of you finally uh but so the brown chair in the corner there is is no longer it's going gonna to be thrown in the trash <laughs> don't get oh. too attached to that chair it's terrible but yeah uh, and i think there are some new uh we've planned out actually df retro for the whole year for the first time i think we have kind of like the plan for the whole year so we have a little bit more preparation for that uh on premium side though alex what about like uh, time capsules and pc capsules uh well so there's a couple of things that actually I've been thinking about there. Well, one, we want to do a time capsule video very soon, and it's becoming less topical every day, but we want to do Enter the Matrix uh, uh, for its PC, PS2 and Xbox versions. Uh, just all of us playing it side by side. Not super technical and in-depth because there's only so much that can be said while you're doing it live, but uh, a lot of fun to see those versions side by side. There's a couple other games that we've been talking about. I know uh audi uh, definitely has a couple ideas up his sleeve john as well um but it would be really nice to hear in the comments if there's any other time capsule uh videos that you would like to see where we could put ps2 and xbox or gamecube or even dreamcast uh versions right next to the pc equivalent on pc appropriate hardware gpu and cpu so that'd be fun so write a comment below about that but one thing that i've been thinking about <laughs> is uh uh i really love half-life total conversions uh, there's like a thousand of them, and it would be fun to do something with the community in that way, uh, whether that be a game night where we play a random uh, Half-Life Total conversion uh, all together. You know, most of them are competitive multiplayer, so... But, you know, something like that, that's something I would also like to try out this year. Not in any regular sense, because, let's be honest, uh, it's hard to be uh you know plan something like that out really far ahead of time at least for me um so those are all things i would love to hear what you think about it in the comments below some of the things that have been thrown out this like from my side it was the original hitman which was immediately shut down by everyone but i think that the nostalgia <laughs> for the very first one is high enough oh. that we can do it i think it is i feel a little bad for that the, the hammer came down on your idea so hard i yeah I, I had to lay down in my chair so uh yeah well it's it's just I, I I thought it would be interesting to to do the console comparison stuff at the same time again, like we did with like uh, Dead Space or Splinter Cell, and you can't do that with Hitman One. But Hitman One is actually a good game, so I don't I don't mean to insult the game. Uh, yeah, it's good and it's it's old enough. I, like to I think people have that kind of certain sense of nostalgia for it, so the discussion could be interesting. But I think Hitman Two is a better time capsule because that has that PS2 conversion and such. And that's where the, uh, I think that's where the series started to really capture people's attention as well. It was two where it's like, oh, wow, okay, this is cool. Then you have stuff like Fear, which I think is also kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, leave comments uh, about which games you want to see and whatnot. And uh, we'll uh, go and check it out, which people want. And of course, on our uh, Patreon as well, or Discord, if you remember, just go into the Discord, let us know what you want to see. And uh, I hope we can get more time to do these because we did. Uh, what was the last one we did? Dead Space. Has, is it really? I think it was, it Dead, was Space. Dead Space. Yeah. That's been a while. Yeah, that was then. really fun. So <laughs> yeah, I'll add the 
little card up here so you can watch the dead space right now if you want and see what the time capsules are that takes uh, care of the content for the, this week uh, i think it's time for us to move into the q a section all right gentlemen you are both ready here we go with our lightning round of questions first of all from anton kirilenko hi df with the upcoming Steam Deck, I fear that it will flop because of availability issues. Like with RTX GPUs, it doesn't matter how amazing it is if you can't get any. Also, the history of underestimating the demand for these devices, mainly Valve Index, doesn't help. However, I think if they can re reliably supply enough of them, they can dominate that niche market of portable PC. What are your thoughts on this, John? That's a tricky one. Uh, I do think that the availability of components is continuing to be a problem for all markets. Uh, the consoles are still doing well because, you know, there's kind of an established thing, but the Steam Deck is new and it's expensive. So I, I, I wonder, like, the demand is high for its pre-order state, right? But um, what happens when it's been out for a while? It, I guess it kind of depends on how well it lands within the people that did already pre-order it like if it's if the the word of mouth is really strong then i suspect uh it will continue to gain interest and people will want to get it but you know we kind of have to wait for it to come out first to, to know this so um i i'd imagine that we're not going to be at a point where somebody can say oh i just want a steam deck and then just go buy it immediately for a while so it, it really just depends on how it turns out i think uh, I'm, I'm of John's mind here. We got to wait a little bit longer to see, like, what if the market penetration here isn't even doesn't even need to be that big in the first place? Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, it's hard to just because it's sold out via pre-order. Um, it doesn't mean as much that I can really forecast onto right now. So I'm going to wait a little bit before I comment on that a bit more fully. Yeah, the only thing we didn't really touch on was like Valve's history here with the Valve Index and their controller and whatnot. But uh, I don't know. I, again, I think that comes down to just the demand after pre-order because pre-orders are always the enthusiast market. You know, you can never really gauge too much from that other than the fact that you sold out your initial run. Uh, so it then depends on adoption rate for the from the game publishers such as themselves. So that's really all I can say about it. It's a neat device though. Uh, my company has been playing around with it, and it's uh, cool stuff. All right, next question is from AngryKurtz86. I hope you're happy with the answer, at least then. Whoa. <laughs> is there any hope for Xbox in the Japanese territory? We always see rumors about Microsoft buying Sega, even though I think Koei Tecmo would be a better fit. But even after four years on a crazy spending spree, uh, Microsoft still haven't bought a, a Japanese studio. Is this a Japanese regulation thing? Foreign companies not allowed? Or, or they just gave up on that market and niche of games. Oh, I, I figured you'd take this one first. But for me, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't seem like Xbox is ever going to be a huge success there at this point. And I don't think just buying a Japanese studio suddenly changes that. Uh, and I, I kind of, you know, I'm sure Microsoft would love to succeed more so in Asia. But, you know, they kind of know where their bread is buttered these days. That's why I see... I, I see them focusing on what they are focusing on. I mean, they have data on what Xbox users are playing and what they like. So, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, you have a lot more experience with like publishers and the Asian culture for like game development. 
Like, what, what do you think? Do you think Xbox could actually stand a chance there at some point? I mean, they've tried in the past. The 360 was probably the best attempt, uh, but it just didn't take. Yeah, so the brand recognition of Xbox is probably a minor issue in this question in just the sense of, like, when it comes to money, Microsoft can buy anything. But actually, the real reason for this is touched upon in the question, and that is regulation. Uh, because foreign-owned entities in Japan have a lot more regulations on them, and certainly when buying up companies, there is a lot more uh, that needs to be done, and it's very difficult. Um, my company, for example, has a Japanese studio, like a office, and it has to be separate due to regulations. So it can't just be foreign-owned and willy-nilly like that. And um, I know Microsoft had an interest in buying Sega like 20 years ago. I'm sure they still do. Uh, but there is probably a lot of issues regarding foreign ownership. Uh, also, the Japanese territory... In terms for Microsoft and their type of output as a as a company, I think Asia in general, Chinese um, developers and marketplaces would be probably more beneficial to them at the moment. So I don't know how much they're even looking in Japan because, as you say, niche of games. Yeah, because when you talk Japanese games, you generally now talk about niches, right? And that's not really where Microsoft is heading at the moment. Uh, so maybe in the future they will look at buying some Japanese studios. But I would rather see them set up their own studios in Japan with their Japanese side of business and create their own uh, studios from that. Foreign partnerships, uh, like I think the best they ever did was during the early areas of 360. You know, was forming partnerships with like Mistwalker, for instance which produced the amazing Lost Odyssey, which is the secret great, best yeah. Final Blue Fantasy game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Blue Dragon's also good. Like, that that kind of stuff, like, I would like to see more of that because the thing is, though, is, like, making a Japanese-style game doesn't mean it's just for that audience, right? Because people in the West also enjoy and appreciate those types of experiences, so... Then you get into, like, the market share of Japan with Xbox and whatnot, and it's just... You know, I didn't play much of the original Xbox, but uh, you turned me onto it, and I now have a pretty sizable Xbox One, like the original Xbox, and that has a ton of great traditional Japanese games on it, which even I was not too familiar with at uh, the time John and I started talking. So I mean, they've always had their eye on Japan. They always tried, but I again just going on a spending spree and buying different companies doesn't necessarily f it, it doesn't mean it fits in with their mo so i think starting new studios like chinese investors are doing with the nagoshi studios and whatnot um that's probably a better out that probably has better outcome for them in the japanese market because that would be from a western standpoint we would like to get japanese games on the xbox but from microsoft side I think they would like to sell more consoles in Japan uh, and have a more market share rather than just funneling games over to us again because that, you know, that they can do with the publisher deals rather than buying the companies. I think it's just a weird market these days. Mobile's so huge, unfortunately. Uh, and it's in the console space, it's it's all about Nintendo now. Like the Switch basically took over everything. 
uh, even PlayStation's market share and like focus on Japan has dropped significantly comparatively. So like, yeah, they should just buy Nintendo because Switch... Nintendo is due yeah. anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> the Nintendo is always an interesting case because in the grand scheme of things, they're kind of like the small guy in the game console space these days. But when, when they play their cards right, they can find some pretty serious success. And I think the Switch is an example of that. The next question is from Artorias. Hi, DF. Big fan of the channel and especially Alex PC videos. Me as well. In regards to the big acquisitions, what are the chances that old Activision titles like Deadpool, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, TM, Out of the Shadows, and the Transformers games by High Moon Studios will be relisted on PC again? And do you think they come to Steam like they did when they were released or be locked to something like Epic Launcher? Right now, the TMNT game costs around 200 euro on the third-party reseller sites. Does it? That's what? crazy if that's what? true. Like Out of the Shadows? Uh, uh, okay, so for those who aren't familiar, Out of the Shadows was the uh, co-op Ninja Turtles game that came out. It had uh, probably the worst redesigns that the Ninja Turtles ever made, uh, but very good music. And uh, wasn't a very good game, uh, unfortunately. Uh, at the time I was working for a publication, I was especially invited to a showing of that because I, I am a huge Ninja Turtle guy. And uh, that was kind of heartbreaking, I remember that showing. Mm-hmm. Oof. But oh, yeah, 200 boy. euros on our reseller sites. John, what do you think? Will we see? We talked about this on Tuesday, but old Activision titles coming back relisted. What do you think? Uh, not those, because those properties are owned by other, other companies, right? And I don't think that they're popular enough those specific games for Microsoft to be like, yeah, let's go through these negotiations and spend a bunch of money to bring back these old uh, licensed games. Uh, so I would say the answer is no. We're not going to be seen out of the shadows again anytime soon, I would imagine. I mean, maybe, but it seems unlikely. Out of the shadows would not be realisted for several reasons, but uh, yeah, because that TMNT is owned wholly by... Nickelodeon now, so it would have to... And Nickelodeon is pretty open to this kind of stuff. Uh, I've had my um, conversation with Nickelodeon regarding some projects, and I mean, they're very open with the TMNT license. They like using it, but I just don't think Out of Shadows was well enough received. I mean, that was even worse received than um, the Platinum game one. The Platinum game one was mildly competent. <laughs> out of the Shadows is Had very really good bad. ideas. Um, sure. I love the idea of Out of Shadows, but just that redesign, I'll, you know, I'll put it on screen right now, but just, woo, it was hard to go. Transformers and... stuff, though. Transformers was good. Transformers was great. Uh, yeah. They did a good job with that, but yeah, again, I don't necessarily think we're going to see them just reappear anywhere. No. So the question here kind of angles everything towards licenses, and as you mentioned, John, that's just like, it comes with its own set of issues, like Deadpool is uh, Marvel, right? Yeah, that's Marvel. Transformers, you know, it's just, uh, of all of the ones you're mentioning, I guess the Transformers games could make a reappearance, but um, the only one I, I liked those High Moon Studios ones, but the one I really liked was Devastation, so, which you can get physically in Germany. Really? On PC. Oh. Interesting. Wow. Next question, from Joe Esposito, friend of the channel. Take a favorite game of any genre, now have it remade in a completely different one. 
For example, Doom remade as a turn-based RPG. Did this not happen? This on happened. Mobile? This happened. Yeah. That, yeah. that, that happened. <laughs> yeah. Alex, let's let's get something out of you this time. Take your favorite game, make it into a different genre. This is hard. I have to think of some of my favorite games. Uh, oh, this is this is hard. Uh, I don't know. Can't I game? Uh, it's Turok Hentai game. Yes, Turok Dating Sim. Turok Dating Sim. There you go. Um, you, where you date all the Turoks. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I would kind of like. Uh, but no, not as a joke. Uh, probably switching something over to real-time strategy uh, or um, or squad-based RPG. Any one of those. Uh, so screw it. Let's say Doom. It's a squad-based RPG now. It's not Doom Guy, it's Doom Guy and Doom Marine tagging up, tag teaming uh, together. Let's say that. How about that? All right. So first of all, just to correct Alex's um, answer here, I mean, the obvious answer, Alex, would have been like Horizon-style game with Turok, like a character adventure uh, uh, game. This is true. Character adventure Turok. That's not bad. It already has the dinosaurs. You just have to make them real dinosaurs. What about like Star Fox Adventures... Like the original concept, but with Turok. Something like that, you know? Yeah, okay, fine. But uh, for me, I'd say I have two ones that come to mind immediately. Uh, I love the Langrisser games. So I would love uh, like a fighting game with the Langrisser characters. Uh, that would be cool. Uh, the second one, you know, I would love like a Metroid Prime style game, but with Bionic Commando, with that hook shot. I, like when John was playing Halo Infinite, I was thinking like, man, Something like this, but with Bionic Commando would be cool. <laughs> That's a good one. Because <laughs> <laughs> he has the hook shot, yeah. which he can go with. So, yeah, I would love, like, a first-person view, Bionic Commando. They did the one with Mike Patton, which wasn't first-person, but the PS3 game, which was fun. But I would love, like, a serious reboot in first-person with Bionic Commando. Taking, like, a classic LucasArts property, like, you take the dig and you make it into, like, an Another World-style cinematic platform. Yeah, that's a great party. idea. Only if someone or did that. Or you turn uh, full throttle into sort of like um, more of a character action game. I don't. Or like a biker mice from Mars on SNES. Like actually, like the Naughty Dog cinematic formula would actually be really cool with a game like that because that game has great storytelling as well, and I think it would be like basically a biker adventure in that in that sort of style of game that could work. But yeah, I like the Dig as a cinematic platform adventure. That, that would be cool. Yeah, you could also have, like, you could probably do, like, a Fallout-style RPG with, like, Kyle Katarn coming back. I want to say, like, isometric RPG. You could Because, like, that character is, like, long gone, and I don't think the genre that they would put him in would be very successful. But you could take that universe and that characterization and actually put it in a, in a different setting, I think, too. All good answers, gentlemen. That was a fun question, though. Thanks, Joe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We now go from Joe to Joe. Uh, Joe Tanko, which uh, I think is a different person, uh, but this is a question for John, if there ever was one. Anything you guys looking forward to with HDMI 2.1a, or are you indifferent, mildly interested, frothing at the mouth with Venomous Fury? John, how's your frothing? Basically, it's like source-based tone mapping is one of the things. It's basically an alternative way of handling HDR tone mapping, uh, but honestly, like... 2.1a is just kind of one of those minor little updates. It doesn't seem to do much to change the standard in any fundamental way. Uh, and in fact, 
introducing yet another standard when it's still like sort of in this blossoming stage. I don't like that. Like it feels like 2.1 should have been locked down and like stick there for a while. Um, but at least what they're adding here is pretty minor in the grand scheme of things. And of course it's optional again, so it's probably not even going to be used that widely, which is often the case with this stuff. Uh, I'm still bummed out though that stuff like HDR is just not more widely adopted, especially in the games front. Uh, I don't understand why it's so uncommon still. Uh, it's a shame. So I don't know. I indifferent, really. Michael A. Stewart, and I know that the A stands for awesome. Do you think that Microsoft acquisitions will eventually include major TV and film content, potentially swallowing up the likes of Netflix and thus ultimately achieving, just years delayed, their infamous 2013 vision of the Xbox brand being the main consumer destination point for all visual content? Alex. I don't see why they would need to do that by their own studios, by them owning it themselves. Rather, they would probably, instead of people having like a Rokio thing for their television, they'd probably love it if people just launched that from an Xbox console or something like that. Uh, I don't see that as something that they're going to do. I don't see that. I don't think so either. I think they got burned so bad by the TV, TV, TV thing that even they poked fun at it in their recent documentary kind of thing on Xbox. They they know that that's not what their audience is looking for, and all these other services have it handled. And anytime Microsoft tries to dabble, not fully in a space that's like very much outside their purview, it never seems to go well. So I think that would be a foolish move to try to get into that area. Uh, just stay stay with what they're doing, um, and you know continue to offer apps and such like Netflix and all the other streaming services just make it an option to download on on your Xbox and that's kind of all they really need to do a good UI a good interface for these companies to put their content onto the Xbox brand I think is a much better way way of going about them buying anything that could potentially be successful like well Netflix is successful so they must be you know good under Microsoft but now partnerships are better in that case so yeah, I don't think they will be going into television. And that's also a very different market from uh, video gaming. It's a very different demographics, uh, a lot different data. So you, you need like an entire different infrastructure. You have to set up, uh, you know, almost the size of a Microsoft on uh, the side of Microsoft to handle all that stuff. So just not worth it. Last question then, and it's a small one from Jens Morgensen. Alex, what's in the game box to the left of the white quake box behind you? The people must know. To the left from his perspective, well, it's Quake 3 Team Arena on the one side. I don't know what left he's talking about. And the other one is Final Doom, uh, which looks like a, a cartridge from like a 50 caliber machine gun, I'm pretty sure. Cartridge box. Uh, so there's those two things. Quake 3 Arena, Quake 3 Team Arena, and then Final Doom. John, just to kind of to make this answer a little bit longer, uh, people were asking a lot uh, in the Discord, and I saw some comments even on the, the, the YouTube. What's that screen you have behind you? Let's get the answer on record right now. What is the screen that the Mister is running on? That is a little 12.1 inch LCD that's on a rotating wall mount that you can use for Mister. And essentially, yeah, it's just um, 
the the height of that arcade stick, as you can attest, mm-hmm. is pretty good. It's fantastic. So it basically becomes sort of a little walk-up arcade machine. Uh, I got the mister mounted on the wall behind there. And, you know, you just pop over there, hit the power switch, you get sound, you get video, everything's ready to go. Uh, it's a cool little station, I think, for playing mister games, playing stuff on the mister, which I mostly stick to arcade games on there. Uh, so, yeah, that's why having the rotating screen is so useful. For Tate Because you can enjoy mode. stuff like that. For Tate Exactly. All right, gentlemen. We've finally reached the end of the show, so thank you so much for joining me this week. Of course there, Audie. Of course. It was a it was an epic, epic. one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I said, let's keep it short, and that means let's uh, do a record length. For all of you, if you enjoy the show, please sit, like, subscribe to the channel here on YouTube. You can follow us all on Twitter. You have our Twitter handles right there. And of course, join our Discord via the Patreon. We're on Patreon from now. You're going to get a lot of retro and premium content every week. It goes from Retro Corner, where we talk about the latest retro news, Retro Q&A, where John and I answer retro questions, which of many were submitted this week, so we'll throw them over to the Retro Q&A, and all that other fun stuff. But for now, thanks so much for watching, and see you next week. 200 euro? Oh, no!